0: It's great to be back here at South Wilson. I loved seeing many, many of you a few weeks ago during our culmination service for Valley Creek Go. And the last time I got to be here was in April, just a little bit uh, after Easter. And so it's great to be back. Uh, Thank you, Tracy, for reading our passage. And I would invite you to uh, find Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And just a few moments we'll reflect specifically on verse 10 through 20. As we've been going through a series now, we're in the third part of a series called Unconventional Wisdom, based in the book of Ecclesiastes. And there has been a fair amount of feedback that we've received, particularly Jonas and I, as we've worked through uh, this series. Uh, The feedback has been mixed, let me just say. There's been, hey, we're learning a lot. And there's also been the feedback of, when are you going to get out of this really sad and dreary book of the Bible. It, it definitely has a sense where there's wisdom, there's guidance, there's application, but it comes from a different perspective that doesn't feel like roses and rainbows. It doesn't feel super happy and smiley and full of joy. It, it feels heavy. It certainly feels more somber. But as I've reflected, even as we've prepared, is you know, life isn't all roses and rainbows. Life isn't always super smiley and super happy. There are moments in life that feel kind of heavy, feel a little more somber. And the wisdom that comes from this particular book and from Solomon, the author, is, is wisdom that's from God. And it's things that we don't often want to talk about out in the open or on holidays or even while we're celebrating around the table with family, but they're important, important life truths. And the message for today is right in line. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about seeking worldly pleasures and that it can be fleeting. There can be pleasure for a moment, but it won't last That we can pursue all sorts of things and at the end of our life come up discovering that we've chased wind. Uh, Last week was about work and the function of work and the purpose of work and how we can work and toil. But if we don't see it as a spiritually significant activity, it can be meaningless. It can be vapor, a mist. Well, this morning the message is in chapter 5 and the topic is on wealth and possessions, and income. And this is not a message about giving per se. It's not even a message about tithing or giving charity contributions. It's about how we manage the resources that God has given us, how we manage the income, and how we will allow that to penetrate our emotions and our thoughts and our heart. And every single one of us can relate to the fact that we work, to receive an income, and to receive a resource from our employer, our company. And how we feel about those resources are a spiritual matter because they are an important part of life. Solomon breaks out this chapter and in this section in chapter 5, and it's like he's a financial advisor. Now, uh, some of you have made visits to financial planners, financial advisors. Uh, I can remember after I got my very, very first full-time job, I think I was making like $28,000 a year. This has been a few years ago. One of my friends told me, Shane, you got to go meet my financial advisor. I'm like, dude, I just got a job like a month ago. I don't need a financial advisor. I need someone to like, help me start my checking account. But I went and met with this financial advisor because my friend said I should. And the first thing he started presenting to me was, well, we need to get you set up on automatic draws for your money market account. I didn't even know what a money market account was. I didn't know what a retirement account was. He says, how are you doing in your 401k? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have a clue what words you're just saying. Well, what are you gonna do for your retirement savings? Are you gonna put back a certain amount every single month? And I was like, brother, I am just trying to pay for gas and groceries and get to the end of the month with something to spare. But he had all these big ideas about my financial future. Now, I was very young, 21, 22 years of age. And now, looking back, if I had listened to him, can I get an amen? If I had listened to him at 21, things might be a little different at 45. But he was giving me all this information, all this guidance, and I wasn't ready to receive it because I didn't have the wisdom or really didn't have the resources to begin thinking anything like this. Well, Solomon is going to present some advice and some counsel. And if you know the context of the book, it's the 40-year King Solomon speaking to someone who will likely be king after him. It's a father-to-son conversation. But in this context, it's like a financial advisor speaking to someone who really doesn't have a lot of wisdom when it comes to finances. So he's going to break it down. He's going to bring it to the level of... Cookies on the bottom shelf. He's going to really try to make sure that this young person knows the dangers and the traps and the things to look out for on a future of wealth and income and earning and management of God's resources. And how he's going to present it's going to sound a bit like famous sayings or cliches that we still have to this day that come from what Solomon was trying to communicate to a young person who was about to begin a journey in managing God's resources. So this morning, I got four sayings for you from godly counsel, four sayings that fit very much in line with what Solomon was saying. And the first is simply this, money can't buy happiness. Can I get an amen? Amen. Money cannot buy happiness. Uh, Look with me at verse 10 of chapter 5. Money can't buy happiness. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Oh, friends, this is an important truth. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. The godly wisdom from an older person to a young person is that if money, if the accumulation of money, if the hoarding of money is all you have on your mind, you will never meet a number in which you say, and I have enough, and I've arrived at my end game. If the focus is only on money, you will never ever find that you have earned enough verse 11 he speaks specifically to the issue of wealth he says nor he who loves money will he ever be satisfied with his income friends if you only work for a paycheck your company will never pay you enough if you only are in it For the amount you can receive every two weeks or every month, however the pay scale is, if your only purpose in work is to earn the check, you will always feel like I'm underpaid. I never am not. I'm not receiving what I should be receiving. Because money has this strange impact on our hearts. If it becomes something that we love and that we pursue, believing it will provide us happiness, then our heart sets it up as an idol with which we worship, and it will never, ever satisfy. You, just like me, you know that there are some people around the world who are wealthy, but are very, very unhappy. I mean, Watch any entertainment show ever. Read anything about the celebrities of the day or the folks who are the millionaires this hour and most often you will find, do you find happy people? No, you find miserable people. Now that's not to say money in and of itself is a sinful thing or a wrong thing or a tool with which we are getting tripped up on. It's just the love of it. The consumption of it. The attitude that it's there to fulfill your heart. Friends, brothers and sisters, if money is the thing that you think is going to fill the hole in your heart, then where does the place that God has and Christ has, our cornerstone, it's never enough. Uh, Several years ago, there was a study done of mega millionaires, lottery winners. Have you heard some of this? And they found of those who had received in their lottery earnings, one million up to 300 million. That's a lot of money. From one million to 300 million, 70% of those within three years had lost it all. Now I have to ask a big question. How on earth do you lose 300 million in three years? Come on, we can laugh at that, right? That's some squandering wealth. But the reality is, Mega-millionaires, mega-millions, winners in the lottery, within three years, most of them have none of it. And one-third of the mega-millionaires that they studied in this, within five years, had filed bankruptcy. Within five years. Because somehow, they got twisted up in the thought that money could buy them happiness. Happiness but it never, ever did. If anything, maybe the money caused some problems. The second saying that I think might come from this that feels like godly wisdom, but also sounds like a cliche that we use every single year, every single day is, more money, more problems. I thought to use it in the more cultural dialect of mo' money, mo' problems. But I didn't know how you would take that here at South Wilson. Can y'all say it with me? Mo' money, mo' problems. Jonas did tell me that I needed to say it that way, that you guys would get it. The attitude that he has here, the teaching that he has here, is that one of the dangers... One of the traps, one of the problems that can arise if you have this consumption and obsession and all pending focus on money is that more money can result in more problems. He says in verse 12, sweet is the labor, or sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich. Will not let him sleep. It's a picture of someone who's worked hard all day, worked for maybe pennies, maybe minuscule income, but at least when they go to sleep, they sleep and they rest and they get up the next day and they do it again and they have no loss of sleep. But there can be a potential problem with those with wealth, those that he refers to as the rich is that the sleep is interrupted because of worry and fretting and anxiety over the wealth. Verse 13, he continues and he says, There is this grievous evil, terrible evil, that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept or hoarded by their owner to their hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in hand. Sometimes more money results in more problems or more money begets more problems. And there can be a scenario where when we have earned and we view this as something we worship, then we're more risky, we're more scared tempted to go after ventures that are really, really unwise. This week, I was uh, watching a documentary about cryptocurrency. Do any of you know what cryptocurrency is these days? The Bitcoin and all the different digital currencies out there. I don't know much about it. I was watching a documentary, trying to learn a little bit about it. I just want you to know this is not a commercial for cryptocurrency. I'm not a broker. I'm not selling anything. But I was watching an interview with a gentleman on YouTube, and he was talking about his life in crypto. Now, his story is probably the, one of the more tragic. Let me prepare you. He lives in Miami with his wife and three children, and he's into exotic cars. If you've ever been to Miami, you will notice they have a car culture. Or buying and selling Ferraris and Lamborghinis and these exotic, exotic vehicles is pretty normal, and that was the business he was in. So he had found himself in a place of wealth, and he assumed that with this new currency, this new digital form of transactions, that maybe he could explode his income, make it, make millions, make it rain. So he invested at 1.20 million dollars in cryptocurrency. I don't even know what that buys, but that seems like a lot of money. And at the peak in January of this year, his cryptocurrency of 20 million invested had moved all the way up to 800 million dollars. And in one day, one day in February, he lost 600 million dollars in one day. Now, in the interview, he was like exactly what you would imagine. He wasn't happy about it, but he was kind of chill and relaxed. He was kind of, well, this is what you get. I only invested 20, you know, so I lost 600, who cares, you know, it's up and down. At one point, I had 800 in the plus. Now I'm down, I still got, you know, several hundred million to spare. He didn't seem all that worried about it, didn't seem all that bothered about it. But I started sweating just watching the video. Because if I see my little retirement account move $1,000, oh, I feel it. I feel a little stab in my stomach. I feel a little sweat on my brow. You know, you lose $600 million in a day and it's no bother, no impact. But the principle behind it is sometimes when we have this responsibility and that There's a blessing and an increase. There can be the temptation to go after more reckless investments or more risky endeavors. We can find this scheme that just seems too good to be true and maybe we're willing to put it all on the line because we hope for a massive return. Wisdom, godly wisdom, says and invites us all to know. Sometimes more money results in more problems. And the more you have, the more you need to be a good steward of. Solomon is giving this wisdom to keep wise, to be skeptical of things, to to make sure you're doing your research and you're doing your study that if it sounds too good to be true, guess what? It probably is. Don't make a mistake with something that's not yours. Remember, God owns it all. We are but managers of his resources. Well, he continues in this counseling and this advice. And are y'all doing okay? Are y'all doing all right? Can I at least see y'all say I'm with you? Would that be okay? All right. Verse 15, we enter this world with nothing and we exit this world with nothing. We enter the world with nothing and we exit the world with nothing. Ecclesiastes 5.15, he says, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. You enter this world with nothing and we exit this world with nothing. What a truth! No matter where you are in your work journey or your adult life or where you are when it comes to wealth and income, there is a truth that we all need to understand, embrace, recognize, stare straight in the face. We start with nothing and we will take nothing with us. We didn't come into the world with little wallets and purses carrying money and we won't go to the grave with little wallets and purses carrying money naked as we enter naked as we will leave it reminds me of what job said in job chapter one you know the story of job the life of a man who was godly and honoring and faithful to the lord but through a period of testing by god and granted through god and tested by satan himself job loses everything All of his livestock, all of his property, his home, his cattle, even boils on his skin. He loses his family. Complete devastation and cataclysmic destruction. Job falls to his knees and says in Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had come to the conclusion that none of what's on this earth is the most valuable in light of eternity or in light of what's next. There is no possession that transitions between this life and that life. I heard it early on in my life. There's only one thing you take to heaven with you and that's other people. Everything else stays behind. Billy Graham once was quoted as saying, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Apparently that quote has reverberated over the years. Even the actor Denzel Washington, while speaking to a college graduating class, he said these words, maybe quoting Dr. Graham. He says, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Now I've been blessed, he writes, or he said, to make hundreds of millions of dollars in my life. I can't take it with me, and neither can you. It's not how much you have, but what did you do with what you have? Solomon's telling this young person, you can't take it with you and so therefore there becomes this responsibility of managing while this earth is in an, in happening that you're wise and you're Devoted to first worshiping and honoring God with it and managing it in a way that it would be honoring and wise to Him. This is not something that's going to go with you into the afterlife. Oh, I've, I've been to places in the ancient Near East, particularly Egypt, where they made little miniature boats and miniature toys and other things to put in the burial grounds with them because they thought in the afterlife if they made a little toy or a little model, maybe it would show up. Or I've been to Xi'an, China, where emperors made stone figures of armies with chariots and horses and they buried them in the ground next to their tombs, thinking that in the afterlife, those soldiers that they had created would actually be an army in eternity. And none of it's true. Do you know why? It's still here. It's still here. The Egyptians, you go to around Cairo and you dig deep enough and maybe it's a tomb or some sort of burial ground. And all the things that were prepared for the afterlife are still there. And all the things in China that they thought would take into the afterlife, they're still there. Friends, we don't take anything with us. We need to be wise. Then not to allow wealth and possessions to become something that we worship And we obsess over. Naked we came. And we will return the same way. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to give one last thought here. And it's in the same vein. And in the same principle of danger in a trap. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 through 10 has in that same context, and uh, we bring nothing and we take nothing. Paul writes to a young leader himself, Timothy. He writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world but listen to the wor- the warning listen to the cautionary message he says but if we have food and clothing with these we will be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He mentions a trap, a possible trap that many fall into. And this can include well meaning, God honoring, Christ fearing believers who find themselves tempted by the allure of greater and greater possessions, that it results in them plunging themselves into ruin and destruction. Because they have become obsessed and worshipers of the earthly, monetary, material things. That causes all kinds of problems. He says in verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's not money that is the root of evil. It's not the... Currency. It's not the coins and the cash. It's not the bank accounts, the checking accounts, the saving accounts. That is the root. The root is the obsession and love and pursuit of money at all costs. That is the beginning that causes a craving, that causes maybe a wandering, that causes themselves to be pierced and to be in pain. Friends, we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of the world. The question is, can we find contentment and godliness with our resources that God has given and for us to wisely manage? If I could have the praise team join me. I told you this word from Ecclesiastes can feel heavy. But Solomon graciously gives us one last thought to lift the mood, at least in some regard, where he says every good gift comes from God, where he alludes to a fact that there is still goodness in all of the potential traps and dangers and fears and pangs. There is still goodness. He says in verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth, and possessions, and power to enjoy them. Everything that God has given, money and things and homes and cars and all that comes with it, He's given for those to be enjoyed and to accept His lot and to rejoice in His work. This is the gift of God. Wisely enjoying what God has given wisely enjoying and stewarding and managing God's resources, not loving it, not becoming consumed by it, not causing such a craving and a desire that it leads you away from faith, but in managing what God has given, there is a recognition that it comes from His hand and that every good gift comes from Him and that we can rejoice in it, accept it, enjoy it, and find it truly from His hand. I want to ask you today just to bow your heads for a moment. And as the music plays, just as we start here in this time of response, I just want to ask you, is the love and consumption and obsession of money something that possibly shows up in your life? The thing is, it can be hidden. It can be quiet behind the scenes hearing an older, wiser someone following God to the end of life can you hear maybe the wisdom and the guidance this is maybe a place that you need to let God work godliness with contentment knowing that we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of the world. We're just going to have a time of response, a time of invitation, and you're most certainly free to pray where you are. The altar here in front is always open. I'll be here if anyone wants someone to pray with them. Mostly I want you to, to look inward, look deeply in your heart. Is your confidence and your assurance solely in God or have you found that your confidence and your assurance is in your bank account? If it was all gone tomorrow, would that destroy you? Would that eliminate your hope? Would that bring you to despair and sorrow? If you lost it all, would you find yourself completely desperate, that might be the point that your heart, that your soul is finding confidence and strength in the thing and not in God. So as the praise team leads us in this song, I'm gonna pray and you sing if you feel led, you pray if you feel led. If you need to come, I want you to come. Dear God, we just pray now that our hearts would see You as our cornerstone, you as our strength, you as our solid foundation, you as who we worship in you alone, not the things, not the possessions, not the material goods, not our incomes, not our bank accounts, not our retirement accounts, but that you would be our sole satisfaction, that you would be our sole desire. And let everything else pass away let us worship you and you alone. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.